0: Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast, my name is Peg Peters. We are starting a 10-part series looking at the legal access to psilocybin for Canadians. And particularly we're focusing on the need for a charter challenge that is going to be launched this July. and. Our hope is that we will inform Canadians using experts, patients, lawyers, and others to really inform you on what's really at stake here in this Charter Challenge. Should Canadians have access to a legal substance that can help them deal with their end-of-life anxiety if they're dying of cancer? That's really the issue. If you're dying of cancer, should you as a Canadian have legal access to a molecule that could possibly help you navigate the anxiety and fears? This has been researched all around the world. Uh, We are going to have patients on this podcast that have been given exemptions by Health Canada to be able to have these kinds of experience and they'll be sharing their stories with you over the next number of weeks. But this first week we are starting with Paul Lewin who is an activist lawyer and is going to be helping head up this Charter Challenge here in Canada. So, enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me here today, Paul. uh, Paul Lewin is a a lawyer, cannabis activist lawyer, and has been really involved in helping uh, legalize access to cannabis in Canada. And we are looking at the issue of the Charter Challenge for psilocybin and the rights of Canadians to access this medicine very few people in Canada understand what's really at stake here, and the issues of mental health in Canada are massive right now, and we need tools and, uh, and, and things that can really work and move the needle for people, and so we have brought Paul Uh, on the program today to kind of talk us through what is the Charter Challenge all about? Why are you involved? Let's start with this, Paul. Tell me a little about what you do, what your background has been, and how you got to this issue of putting your name forward to say, yes, I really think I want to be part of the front edge of the wedge to bring this legal access to psychedelics, particularly for end-of-life cancer patients. Paul, welcome to the show here. We're doing this 10-part podcast and tell me about how you got involved in, uh, in, uh, uh, in psychedelic law and why you want to push this issue forward for Canadians.
1: Well, I'm a long time, as you mentioned, a long time cannabis lawyer. And, I've, um, and so many of the issues that we faced in cannabis, including lots of constitutional litigation, lends itself very much to psilocybin, another prohibited substance, um, misunderstood, stigmatized substance. It, does, it can do all kinds of good. And so um, I'm really blessed to be a part of this. I'm, I'm uh, delighted to be a part of it. It's an honor. Um, uh, psilocybin can do tremendous good in a wide spectrum of manners for a wide spectrum of people. So um, it's a really, uh, uh, I'm pleased to be a part of it, a thrill to be a part of it.
0: You know, why don't we start with kind of where I come into the conversation, because uh, for me, I come with a personal story. Uh, A friend of mine named Lori Brooks, I've known her for a long time. Uh, She was diagnosed a number of years ago with uh, with stage four cancer. Uh, And it was a really, you know, anyone who gets that diagnosis where you're like, you have six to eight months to live. We don't know. I mean, I don't know what that's like to live with that you know existential dread of the end of my life. We all know we're all going to die but it's a different thing to be told. You have six to eight months. She was navigating that kind of anxiety, that kind of fear and had no place to go. She was so frustrated because she's like, there's no treatments. There's nothing that can really help me. I can apply for medical assistance in dying as a Canadian and get a physician to kill me, but I can't get access to a mushroom that grows in the ground that can help relieve my end of life anxiety. We've got studies at a Johns Hopkins. NYU, UCLA, there's research in Israel, it's all around the world that we're realizing that these plant these, these uh, plant medicines can really help bring a change. So when Lori started asking those questions and was looking for uh, a therapist to do this kind of experience where you take these mushrooms, you're in eye shades, you have headphones in a therapeutic context, she finally said, I, I really, really want this. And finally, we worked with her with an organization called Theracil. And we got her a section 56 exemption, which allows an individual, under the right criteria to get access to this this schedule one drug, as they call it, which is ludicrous to me. But um, she was able to get access to that and do it therapeutically. Her life, Paul, was radically changed. I mean, like there's a before and after the anxiety, she says. It's like the, the cancer was put into a small box in her, you know, inside of her mind, and it's on the floor. She can open it up and access it when she wants in her mind, but it doesn't totalize her experience. She's able to be present for her four kids and her husband as she goes through treatments. This should be the right of every single Canadian. Why do Canadians have to work so hard to try to get access to this, Paul? That's where I come from. I come from this personal story. Have you, and So tell me about how you come to this, Paul.
1: Well, I started off helping, uh, working with uh, Dr. Bruce Tobin, who had a Section 56 application in which he was seeking the authority to um, treat them with psilocybin, Um, and we had world-renowned experts who supported it. And I think I got involved with Bruce, it might've been in the summer of 2018. He had already been at it for two years. He was getting the runaround. At one point, the federal government said, oh, you should speak to provincial government, provincial ministries of health. And he went and spoke to, he, he's, he went everywhere and he was really just getting the runaround. We had an overwhelming uh, record that we put before the court. And, um, uh, and so anyway, ultimately it was rejected. And um, but it, decisions were made. We we and we were considering taking that challenging that in court. And uh, then it was it was in August of 2020. We got the rejection in March of 2020. Um, and we started building up this um, charter challenge and judicial review. And in August of 2020 very modest request to use um, psilocybin on a personal basis, but there was no, it, it was never set out how they would get it because that seemed to be something that troubled Health Canada. So we were going to try and make the request as small as possible for people. And I believe that included Ms. Brooks were granted section 56s. Though so That was groundbreaking. That was great work by Theracil. And we thought, well, you know what, let's, put this the court challenges on hold because we think health canada the minister is going to be reasonable and they're going to work towards reasonable rules and for a while it looked like that was going to happen and that now it's it's changed and a, lot, a number of things have happened but they they're not being reasonable they're making it difficult i mean i won't say they're doing nothing but It's lots of people are suffering, needlessly suffering.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the other uh, applicants, his name is Thomas Hartle. He was from Saskatoon. And I was able to fly over with Bruce Tobin to Saskatoon, and we filmed the first ever legal psilocybin experience with Thomas Hartle, myself, and uh, Bruce Tobin. Uh, and that was a couple of years ago. But that was just kind of a one-off, uh, you know, 50, uh, Section 56 exemption. Uh, so what, we're, what the charter is trying to do is let's maybe kind of walk us through some of the reasoning here, Paul. Maybe we start with Section 7, uh, kind of, are, is, are, are Canadians' rights being violated? You know, Section 7 of the Canadian Charter guarantees that all Canadians have the rights to life, liberty, and the security of person. Doesn't access to a natural substance like uh, psychedelic mushroom uh, fall under a Section 7 uh, Charter? Tell me about that.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's really... Um, the the law is... And so the law has developed significantly uh, as a result of very uh, lots of cannabis litigation. And so... Um, if you have a, um, an important, a fun, uh, uh, an important health decision to make that uh, impacts security of the person, your liberty is impacted because if you use it outside the scope of their strict rules, you could go to jail um, under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. So there's no doubt that liberty and security of the person are impacted. And really, this is what the cannabis. If you want to be the distill. A whole bunch of court cases into a very short little sentence or two, um, Canadians have the right to reasonable access um, to medical psilocybin. That's uh, so. Um, and so the debate would be what's reasonable access, but um, the government can't put barriers between Canadians and access. And that doesn't mean the government has to pay for it or that the government has to provide it, but they can't put walls between Canadians who are in serious have serious health issues and uh, treat reasonable treatment,
0: hmm.
1: um, reasonable so how- reasonable choices. And I'll note this too: that word "reasonable" is really key because you know a lot of researchers and scientists spend a lot of time trying to get a drug identification number for psilocybin, and they're doing good work, and I applaud them, and I'm glad they're doing that. But that's not the test uh, that a judge would make; uh, that the judge uh, has to make. Uh, when the matter comes before the court. Question isn't, um, does it have a drug identification number, then you're legal, but if not, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to suffer in silence, even though this is really is a reasonable choice that you're making. The, the, and I guess to put it another way, this is a, I, I like to use this, um, the question, if I came to a bridge and the bridge was, uh, before I was going to walk over it, I might look to see, does it look stable or was it, is it properly constructed? Um, and uh, maybe if it wasn't meet regulator standards, I might not go over it, uh, I might take a different route. But if I'm being chased by a bear, mm. I'm running over that bridge. And really, these people, they're being chased by a bear right now. And wow. for the government to say, sorry, we haven't done enough testing on this bridge yet. Um, that's, that's not right.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly when, uh, yes, maybe ca- Canadians have not had funded studies. We haven't had a lot of funded studies in Canada. There are some going on right now, clinical trials, but this is a little bit naive to say there is no testing. We, we know that there, we have a history of using these substances in the 50s and 60s in Canada. The word psychedelic, which means mind manifesting, was first coined in Canada, in the Weyburn Mental Hospital, just uh, in Saskatchewan. So this is, uh, Canada has a history of using these substances. It was the war on drugs in 1974. Canada followed suit uh, from the United States to shut down access to psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin, and others. But there was at least a decade of amazing research being done on the the, the actual medical benefits of these substances. And to say there is, we have no, we have no research is absolutely naive and and uh, and really misinformed because there's lots of research going on. And I hope Health Canada begins to wake up and see that Canadians are desperate for access to these medicines. You know, can can you jump in on this one, Paul? I, I and I guess it really troubles me, right? We have this. You know, Canadians have argued that we want the right if, if your suffering is so unbearable. We believe that as a Canadian, you should have the right to be able to work with a doctor to determine whether you want to end your life because of whatever the, 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 you know, the issues are that you determine with a physician, right? We've said yes, let that be in the hands of a physician and a patient. Why should the government determine when you get to die or not? We've said yes. So if we've said yes to that, can you help me understand, Paul, why we can't get Canadians access to something like psilocybin that has zero, zero, we'd have zero deaths. This is one of the safest molecules on our planet. And yet we are still this layover of a war on drugs and a fear of, of this, uh, of psychedelics. Can you help me understand how we can have made, and yet we don't have access to something that can allow people to live
1: Um, No, I can't help you understand that because it makes no sense to me either. And thank you for spelling out that really there's lots and lots of research. And actually, as part of that Bruce Tobin initial application back years ago now, uh, we provided a ton of peer-reviewed science, um, as well as uh, these reports from uh, world-renowned experts. So, no, it doesn't make any sense why this is the case. I can only think that because it's a stigmatized substance. Um, and you know, I'll add too, and you mentioned this, how far back the science goes and how long we've been getting positive results uh, from this. And it's kind of, it, it doesn't really sit right when you think, well, they're, they're saying, mm, you don't have quite enough science on your, your side. They were interfering with studying this for years and years and years, making it very much more difficult than it should have ever been. So if, if it's moved slower, then it's, um, and some substances don't lend themselves to patents quite the way other substances do as well. And um, so, uh, no, I can't help you understand that either. And I think they do need to be pushed, um, Health Canada. Sometimes I wonder if they like the fact that they're being pushed. And they'd rather be pushed for political cover. They can say, well, you know, this court case, or they're about to bring this court case. I, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors um, mm. with the government, um, but yeah, I, that, that baffles me too, how yeah. made is more accessible.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I, I think Bruce said it once, uh, you know, if people should have, if they have the right to die, they should have the right to try magic mushrooms right? I mean, it almost should be like you get an automatic exemption. Once you get the made, there's a PS. If you also want to do, you know, psilocybin mushrooms, you know, you can do that too. It's, it comes as a package because, you know, we're, we're giving you the right to risk and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. Why wouldn't you want to be able to say, I want to deal with some of, you know, cause that's what psilocybin is incredible at. It puts people into these uh, you know, it calms down the fear circuit. the the amygdala part of our brain, that fear circuit drops down, Our, our prefrontal cortex where we make meaning and our busy mind, what we call the default mode network, that begins to slow down and people begin to make meaning out of their entire life, begin to find peace, begin to let go of things they've held on to their entire life. I mean, I want people to die well. We do not do a good job in the West of honoring death We don't have proper death rituals. We don't have community. We put people off into like, you know, little rooms and boxes. And and this is the ancient peoples and particularly indigenous cultures have such a more holistic understanding of death and dying and realizing that it's part of of kind of ending your life and making, you know, making amends and, and owning that. Psilocybin could be an incredible tool for therapists and physicians to help people deal with the end of life. And uh, I, I, I talk to people that work in hospice uh, and they say, you know, I, I sit holding the hands of dying people, but I have nothing to offer them but just a listening ear, which is beautiful. But what if you had a tool that within four hours could have, allow you to have an absolutely mind-blowing experience that can give you a sense that you are loved, that you are connected to the universe, that there is purpose in your life, and that you can let things go. To me, that's what
1: I want for Canadians. Yeah, I know, and, and you know, I mean, talking about it, and it, it like it's. I mean, yeah, all Canadians are in, like, it's almost like an epidemic of anxiety and depression, yeah. it seems like in the modern world. I mean, for all Canadians, it should be much more accessible. Um, I, I mean, that's a charter challenge for another day, but especially for those mm. facing yeah, at their, at the toughest time of all, and our lack of compassion towards them is uh, astounding. I uh, mean, mm. uh,
0: It is. It it, it is. I think, you know, and as Canadians, I'm I'm hoping that people can wake up and we can begin to lead with compassion. We have an opportunity to do something quite profound. I know Oregon is just uh, they've passed a law to legalize access to psilocybin as a state. Uh, They're going to do it through uh, physicians and and uh, and um, therapists. So there's, there's other places, Denver, uh, some other places uh, in some counties in, the, in, in California are also legalizing access to this. Um, we, as, a, as Canadians, we have an opportunity to really be leading the world in this, to lead with compassion. Um, one of the other things that really hit me and I wanted to ask you about, which is it feels like the government is standing in the way of the doctor-patient relationship. Shouldn't this be a decision between you as a patient and a physician on what medicine you're going to take? I mean, a physician can give you morphine. It can give you uh, Oxycontin. It can give you, she, he or she can give you fentanyl at any time they want. They, they, we trust them. We say, physician, we believe that you are educated. We believe that you have the best you know uh, we, it, the best intentions for patients in Canada. We are going to trust you to make the best decisions with a patient. But on this one, we're saying, no, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know, you, let us as, a, as, as politicians decide what medicine people that are dying are gonna get. Don't you think that that is another uh, issue that you, we could address in a charter challenge, the, the the government getting in the way of a doctor-patient relationship?
1: Uh, that's a great point. I, I almost feel like that's the, the beating heart of this case is this model um, in which it's bureaucrat as gatekeeper as opposed to doctor as gatekeeper under Section 56, the test is um, the minister may issue a Section 56 if it's medically necessary. So you've proven to the minister it's medically necessary, but the minister still has the discretion to not grant it for reasons unrelated to your health. That is that is absolutely rotten. That's not right. That shouldn't be the test. And similarly under the SAP, it's got to be the minister may issue if it's an emergency. So if it's an emergency, the minister may issue, they may not, it can be political reasons can certainly uh, are allowed to play a role in this. And there's so many reasons why it's gotta be doctor and patient decision-making. The doctor is of course, uh, closest to the patient. Uh, the doctor is bound to make decisions that are in the best interests of the patient. Um, they have a duty to act in the best interests of the patient. The, nobody is closer to the, doc- to the patient and better understands what the patient's gone through, what they've tried, and probably most important of all, what the patient's going through. That's the doctor who sits with them and discusses how they're feeling, not this invisible bureaucrat who sends mm-hmm. off a letter saying, you haven't tried enough things yet. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's as well, there's a, this is more consistent with the doctrine of informed consent, um, which establishes a patient's right to make meaningful decisions. There's also something else um, that called patient-centered care that I've learned about over the last two years, and that's um, that's a movement all over the world, and it's been strongly endorsed in Canada, embraced in Canada. It's a, the, everyone agrees this is more therapeutic um, for patients, and what it does is it empowers the patient to play a, an active role in their treatment, to guide how they want their treatment to be. Um, and... Um, It's it's a holistic approach to have respectful and individualized care, um, allowing negotiation of care and offering choice through a therapeutic relationship that empowers the patient in making healthcare decisions. And uh, everyone agrees this is a great thing. And this, and of course, when the patient's making these decisions, especially at such a critical time and such a unique type of treatment as psilocybin, this is very much something that should be all in the hands of the patient in consultation with their doctor. And to have a bureaucrat making the final call, that is completely contrary to all of it. It's just not right at all. And you know, when you, you leave it in the hands of the bureaucrat, if there's a refusal, a patient of modest means has to hire a lawyer and go bring a judicial review to federal court. This is not practical at all. This, this, this isn't how healthcare should be in Canada. Um, I, I see this doctor as gatekeeper as being the maybe the single biggest issue on this challenge. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I think yes, you know, there might be one day what we're dreaming of that that this doesn't have to even be controlled by a physician. That we can begin to have enough studies and that you know an average Canadian could just you know like it is with cannabis is have a couple of plants in your you know in <laughs> underneath your sink. And if you want to grow your own mushrooms or get access to mushrooms online or go to a dispensary like we have in Vancouver, we can you can go into a dispensary in Vancouver and you know, and get access to to, to magic mushrooms. Um, that's I think is what would people would I think what good looks like for adult to adults to be able to make those decisions. But in the meantime, we should at least allow physicians to be the one that says, you know what, can me as a physician? Can I make the decision on what's best for this patient? And if I think they need morphine, let me make that call. If I think they need, you know, this other pain medication, let me make that call. And if I think they could benefit from psilocybin and in a treatment, in a safe therapeutic context to help them, let me make that call. And I think that's what Canadians want. we're not asking for, yeah, just let us, you know, everyone's gonna be dosed in the water. We're asking for a physician's People that we trust as Canadians to be able to have that tool in their tool belt to help people with anxiety.
1: Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. And I just say another word or two on this. I don't. I won't go off because it's a little different than the court case. But you, again, you mentioned ordinary adults, and there's there's in the Charter a uh, seldom a never litigated uh, provision called freedom of thought, in which. Um, and I, I see psychedelics as um, what the printing press is, to freedom of expression, a, a critical tool for freedom of expression. That's what psychedelics are for freedom of thought. And um, this is something, and it's all such good thought. And I'll, I'll say one more word about this because I'm so passionate about it, but I, I can't be quiet about it. Um, freedom of thought, a couple of times it's been addressed around the world in courts and in Canada, they've talked about the very worst kind of freedom of thought. They've talked about, It's been a pedophile claiming freedom of thought to write down his awful thoughts, or a white supremacist who says, this is freedom of thought. And even when these awful types of thought are the rest, courts are very respectful of freedom of thought. They say, this is an important important part, but some have said freedom of thought is the foundation of all rights. And I mentioned these awful types of freedom of thought that get respect in courts. Imagine if we're talking about the very best types of freedom of thought compassion, mindfulness, creativity mm. um, uh, so anyway I, I won't go off in that direction mm. but uh, absolutely it should be available for all uh, all mm. it should be an adult choice. Yeah you know walk us through what the
0: stages would be then let's say uh, this summer what kind of how does it work you know how do charter challenges work because that's a you know uh, you were involved with the cannabis. Uh, you know, program. So tell me a little about what are the steps that you make an application, you put together a brief, like kind of walk us through how that works, Paul.
1: Sure. So we have, it's, uh, we're going to federal court. It's going to be a simplified action. So it's not a, a regular action. It's a little more trimmed down um, in some respects, so that we can move through it a little faster. A, um, we file our statement of claim. They'll provide a statement of defense. Um, we exchange documents. Um, There is a a more trimmed down discovery um, that uh, goes back and forth. We'll have to file our affidavits. So if we file our statement of claim in early July, we'd have to file our affidavits. Realistically, it could be October or November. We'd file all our affidavits in support that would include various experts and patients. Um, They would, uh, they also file their affidavits in support. There'd probably be something from a Health Canada witness explaining the system. They would have, uh, surely they're going to have an expert as well. Um, We'll have a few of them um, and uh, we'll have experts talking about how the system has played out, uh, which is really important that like these limited section 56s that have been granted, Theracil went on an odyssey, a public relations odyssey, trying to get these over the finish line. I mentioned Bruce and all the work he did. There's been so much that's gone on to get to these small, tiny developments that the court needs to know. The government just didn't decide to do that. It took a heck of a lot of work to get even a little bit out of them. Uh, So anyway, we'd file all these materials and then there'd be, um, and then eventually we would get hearing dates in which there'd be cross-examinations and final submissions. Uh, We would in advance as well, we'd file um, a document setting out our legal arguments Um, and the law is pretty well developed. I don't think it's really, uh legal arguments and I I don't think it turns on the facts either the facts are Mm. overwhelming this is um Mm. it's a powerful argument uh yeah uh, I I would hope that the government seeing these stories would really say you know what are we going to fight these dying people are we going to fight these people uh facing this terrible struggle or are we going to say you know what we we've got to make some changes
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, is there a possibility that as you put your application into the court, they begin to start seeing some pressure? And they're like, you know what, we don't want to because at the end of the day, why would they waste Canadian taxpayers dollars, we're talking court, as you know, as a lawyer, you mean, we're talking about you know, hourly rates that are just absurd, of course, right? And that's how it works. This is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Do Canadians want to be able to use their taxpayer dollars to be able to fight this thing that the average Canadian is like, why do we even have this? Going on in the books anyways, like, is there a possibility that they just say, okay, it's like we give, you know, it's like we give up, we don't even want to fight it. And they kind of strike down the law and then push it back to the parliament to say, we need a new law that allows that Canadians access like, could that happen without going to court?
1: I think that's possible. I I think that uh, behind the scenes, they do uh, realize that this isn't right. I think there are progressive politicians who are gonna push them in the right direction. I don't think it's something that they have to fight to the end. I I think they realize they're gonna get a black eye. They're not gonna look good fighting uh, our plaintiffs so on these issues. So I think there's a real possibility that some progressive legislation could come out of this and it's not necessary to fight to the end.
0: Yeah. So, that's, uh, um,
1: so, yeah, no, I'm very hopeful that yeah. uh, there's going to be.
0: Wow. Yeah. Cause I just, I can, I can, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, you have three or four or, you know, 15, we you know bring up, these people are dying of, of, of a terminal disease, right? They're asking their position for a molecule, a substance, a medicine that has been around longer than as human beings have been on this planet. It's, you know, I looked at the Lancet this, the, the other day, they, I, I, this is an older study, but uh, from 2010, and they list the top 20 drugs in the world and harms to users and harms to others, uh, you know, mushrooms being the lowest, we're talking alcohol being the most, you know, deadly drug on our planet, as far as harm, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamines, tobacco, you know, dot, 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 all the way down to that. The, the bottom is mushrooms. No one dies
1: of mushrooms. Is well above psilocybin. Yeah. Has more harms
0: than psilocybin. Yeah, like this is not harmful. You might just take. You can take a bunch of mushrooms, and you'd end up just kind of falling asleep and having a crazy trip. But no one is not. No one is dying or being harmed by these substances. We actually have receptors our 5h2a receptor in our brain beautifully locks in with the psilocybin molecule it's like we've evolved and been designed for that lock and key just like with cannabis we have cannabinoid receptors that are designed and evolved in our body to connect in with the cannabis molecule like biology this is our bodies have evolved alongside these natural plants and they're for our benefit and there are societies that have done this for tens of thousands of years and somehow in the last 50 we've said no we do not want you to use plant medicines. you have to use only these chemicals made by pharmaceutical companies, and that to me is a tragedy and needs to be changed in our era.
1: yeah, no I think I think there's kind of this thing about psychoactive substances mm-hmm. that we have this fear of thinking differently, um, but I, I also think it's changing, and this war on drugs is widely understood mm-hmm. as a failure, and so um it's not and that's part of the reason i say i don't i don't know if they're going to fight us to the death uh Mm -hmm. the way they used to with cannabis i mean that was a different era many of those cases are 20 plus years ago but now i I think it's a different world and uh those old nutty beliefs which didn't serve anyone i uh it's shocking looking at court cases uh, even for psilocybin I, i see sentencing decisions in which there's no understanding whatsoever of the substance before the court. And the judge will say, well, I guess we'll give you a year for selling a bit of psilocybin. Wow. <laughs> wow! Like,
0: it's, it's, it's shocking to me that we're, we are criminalizing. I mean, it's, you know, I think people are coming, waking up to how absurd it is that people were ever put in jail for cannabis charges, right? Like you got caught with a joint in your car and now you're in jail for life in the States. Like, it's just, it's just absolutely ludicrous, right? We're realizing that that era was wrong. Now we are going to look back as a people and we are going to just be you know we're going to be shocked that we ever criminalize these these uh, substances and I think there's been enough now research and kind of understanding about why this war on drugs happened in the early 70s people were not wanting to go to that Vietnam war They got woken up to the idea of like, why do I want to go and murder on behalf of a war that doesn't make any sense in Southeast Asia? And they were taking LSD and mushrooms and kind of going, no, we're, we're we're not killing. And the government said, no, you are killing. That's going to be illegal. We need you to have a gun and start shooting on our behalf. And I think that then they outlawed it. And I think that's exactly what happened. And Canada got on board with that as well. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was uh, she's 81 now and she was a psychologist in the 70s in the ubc and she talked she told these horror stories about she was doing 10 years of research at ubc using these mushrooms and using lsd finding incredible breakthroughs and she said then we got raided in about 1978 our, our clinic We were PhD research, we got raided by the RCMP, people were put in jail and the whole thing got shut down. And she said it was devastating because we were helping people and now all of that had to go underground. And she said, and I had to stop my research. 40 years later, she just is now starting again in her 80s, working with people with these substances. And I'm like, I want to have you on the podcast, because you are an incredible person that has been waiting 40 years to get back to your research that was outlawed. So I think we're going to see a renaissance, aren't we, Paul?
1: I, I think so, too. It's interesting hearing you talk about like the old, old days. And, you know, I read this, and I've heard this in the Michael Pollan book. Uh, and I've, re- I've seen, I've heard people talk about kind of slamming Timothy Leary and saying, you know, if you weren't, if he wasn't so crazy, we wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't have been fallen so far back. And the lesson is we have to be super, super responsible. And we have to wait till we get our drug identification number and you get it, you can only get it in a here, you got to take it to the top of a mountaintop surrounded by armed guards. And, uh, you know, I, I think there was a nasty war on drugs going on. And maybe Timothy Leary was a little kind of, a little too freewheeling, maybe, maybe not, but that he's not the problem. It was a nasty war on drugs that slammed all things psychoactive uh, in a, just an inexcusable manner. And uh, I mentioned a year for psilocybin. I mean, you mentioned people going to jail for long periods of time in the States and Canada. If you saw some of these old sentencing decisions, it's just crazy talk mm. about cannabis and psilocybin and other drugs that uh, have such... Tremendous potential, and all the while, rotten pharmaceuticals are being were being encouraged to gobble them down, uh, including the, this awful opioid epidemic, which, ironically, of course, psilocybin can help counteract yes, as well yes. as
0: Yes. Uh, oh man, I uh, just was uh, had a conversation with a, 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 a man who was navigating a cocaine addiction and uh, recently had a, a psilocybin experience that really allowed him see we always just think of addiction being only some kind of, um, you know, a, a, a brain craving this this thing. But addiction is a whole, you know, and, and I think Dr. Gabor Matei has done a, such a good job of helping us understand that addiction is about dealing with pain and it's social emotional. It's not just the, you know, the receptors craving a molecule. It's about shame. It's about hiddenness. And it's about trying to deal with the pain from, again, I think I think he made a stat like, of the addicts that he's met, maybe even higher, have uh, childhood sexual abuse or massive trauma in their early five years of attachment injuries, right? So they don't have that place of attachment inside. They don't know they're loved. They just feel like they're always in danger. They don't have that mother father early connection. So now they're seeking it. They're, They're just this drug seeking behavior is attachment seeking. So I think what we're going to realize is that these molecules and this gentleman that I talked to recently said, when I did this psilocybin experience, it it not only did did it allow me to recognize that I don't have to, I don't want to crave that, that, you know, that stuff anymore, but he began to heal me from the inside. I realized that I'm lovable. I'm, I realized that I'm, you know, I'm a beautiful human being that has value and worth. And when you begin to know that, you begin to say, how do I want to treat my body and what's best for me? And so this idea of connecting with yourself, with a sense of your connection with community is so is also tied into how psilocybin works. Psilocybin is this incredible molecule that doesn't act like a typical drug. It, it acts with intentions. And that's what's so odd to people, right? Researchers have a tough time with this, right? We want to say, Oh, you just want to give this and we can stand by and watch and what we found. And, and the, I think the best story I've heard is, and Michael Pollan talks about this, is he says it, it is an incredible for smoking cessation. You know, the best we can do for uh, clinical therapy is six to eight percent of people with the patch or, you know, these kind of nicotine things to help people get off six percent. It's really hard psilocybin we're getting 85 percent of people stopping smoking after one four to five hour experience how is that possible when thousands or millions of people took psilocybin in the 60s and they're smoking all the time the difference is you match psilocybin with intention and it has it's like it's alchemy You've got to put intention into these experiences. And when you put intention into the experience, uh, I'm finding physicians and therapists are finding people getting off of cigarettes and and nicotine when you work with the intentionality for these things. So I think the opioid epidemic needs new tools and the research around things like Ibogaine, uh, which is from the Iboga plant in West Africa in Guinea. This is a root that is used and it's brewed in a tea and it helps heal the neural receptors for heroin. It's the only substance on our planet that we know that can actually heal those receptor sites. So these are psychedelic plants. And we've got to get our head out of the sand and say there's incredible tools growing on our planet that can help people and we've got to now get people access to them and that's where you come in Paul you are going to be our guy on the front edge of the wedge helping us get access to these things how can we help as Canadians
1: um, well I, the theil uh, website they're uh, seeking donations to um, fund the fight um, if there's people who are struggling and feel that uh psilocybin can help them also reach out to Therisol. theracel is doing amazing work mm. and um so uh, go to the Therisol website it's really mm. uh and if you could donate great maybe you can help out uh whatever you um or or maybe we can Therisol can help you
0: yeah i think we need you know we we do need donations and uh this as you know charter challenges are expensive and uh and there's no, as you guys know, there's no big pharmaceutical company backing up to say, oh, we can't wait for psilocybin, right? They want people addicted to, you know, all of their anti all of the anti medications, the SSRIs. It's billions and billions of dollars. And we're saying that we can challenge that based upon one experience with psilocybin in a proper set and setting, this is not kind of an ongoing. I remember talking to uh, someone about psilocybin. They said, oh, I'm on an SSRI. I guess I would just change to psilocybin every day. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is an experience that you have and your whole body has a reorientation to itself. This is like a full cleanse kind of thing. It's a one-shot deal for many people. So this is going to have a major impact on uh, drug and pharmaceutical companies. And I think uh, that's going to be a problem because we're not getting funding. We're, we, these are just, you know, average Canadians are going to be able to give their 10, 20, 100, 500 bucks to this challenge. And I really hope people hear this and say, yeah, let's go to Theracil.com. You can go to therasil.ca. We'll put the link up on the website here and you can donate right there. Uh, Paul, I really am excited. Tell me a little about the team that you're working with as you prepare for your submission.
1: Uh, Well, we've got a a team of uh, very skilled lawyers. We we have a number of uh, experts who are uh, uh, brilliant experts, uh, agreed to assist us at well below what they would normally charge. so um, I, I, we've got very talented people who are at uh, the constitutional fights. They know them inside out. We, we've got kind of a range of skill sets who are all working together, um, but it's going to be a big operation. And anytime you want to do something big in court, you've got to do it right. You can't go mm. light. Um, so.
0: So why for you is like, why are you taking this on? Like, it's like, there's got to be some kind of personal passion here. Like what, what, what motivates you to get up out of bed and say, this is the fight I want to do right now?
1: Well, I I mean, I guess a couple things. I mean, I would say um, uh, like certainly hearing the patient stories, you can't not be moved when you talk with one of these patients over the phone for an hour or two and you, you just feel like a different person after talking to them for uh, uh, so the patients, it's very moving, but as well, the the wonderful things that this substance can do. Um, And, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to say something perhaps a little nutty uh, if I may, but I, I mean, I think this is, uh, I, I'd go so far as I I'll, I'll put it this way that I, I feel like when I'm working on a case like this, I feel like I'm doing God's work.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I, I feel like this yeah. is a
1: special substance that mm. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something special in the world. Mm.
0: I think. You know, I, I, I like that you went there, Paul, and I, you kind of danced around a little bit, but you know, as, as much as we want to talk science, uh, there's this is a deeply spiritual molecule, you cannot and all but you know, again, we didn't invent this. This is an ancient molecule used by, you know, tribes in the Amazon, uh, using from Mexico, we have Siberian shamans, we have uh, African shamans, this substance has been all all around shamanic cultures used in a very, very spiritual context. So this isn't just like typical Western science. This molecule has allowed people to move into altered states. And, and, and again, but by the way, we shouldn't be scared of altered states. We, we experience it every single day. When we go to sleep, your consciousness is gone, is offline. You are laying in your bed, vulnerable. You have no idea what's going on in the outside world. And we accept that. That's normal as a human being. We sleep, Right. This is very similar, so we shouldn't be nervous or scared of altered states, we should just understand them, realize that they've been used for thousands and thousands of years to help people heal, to help people get a better perspective of themselves, to help people feel connected as a community. They've been used with, uh, with uh, you know, in, in larger groups, so the history of the use of this is well documented, and I think you're right, Paul, to say that this is actually a deeply spiritual uh, opportunity, for you to take this and say, yeah, I want to do something right here. I want to help Canadians get access to this. And this is only the front edge of the wedge, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, this is only the beginning. Um, and, uh, access is going to improve and improve, but I, I loved everything you just said about it. And I mean, I, I don't mind saying that I have, uh, I've had experiences with it and it, it's, it's unlike anything else. Um, and it really, the, the poisonous rotten thoughts that can, just just being a human it's so easy to get sucked into and you're all these ego driven motivations and i hate it and i'm no different than anybody else i'm no better than anyone else but when when it can, something can take you away from those low ego driven thoughts it's it's such a wonderful thing it's a spiritual thing it's not just a, a nice thing it, mm. it's bigger than that
0: yeah you know i think in a, in a day like ours and we've just we're you know we're we're dealing with this pandemic and coming out of that the, the issue of isolation that people have faced, the issue of anxiety and fear, our entire planet has gone up like a couple notches when it comes to fear and anxiety. And, it, and, and no pharmaceutical that we have right now is really is going to make a dent on our planet when it comes to fear and anxiety and depression. And here we have a substance that has been used, again, for thousands of years. We didn't just make this up you know, a couple of years ago. There are uh, well-documented c- cultures that are still using it. Mazatec uh, Indians in Mexico still use this in a shamanic way. And we can use this and understand it and bring it into our Western culture. And I think that in, in, over the next 10 years, I really hope that Western medicine can begin to feel a bit more balanced and open up to the fact that we, our mind-body connection needs to be way more holistic, that we heal when we're in balance. It's not just about taking a drug. It's about calming us down. It's about allowing us to feel connected with nature, with each other, and with ourselves. And so I think when we feel that, and we feel love, we can be healed. We can be whole. We have a substance here that can help us do that. As Canadians, let's be front edge. Let's push the boundaries here, and let's get Canadians access through physicians and their, and their therapists to this substance. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, for coming on the podcast and giving your perspective. Anything you want to leave with us as we finish off our conversation?
1: Um, I, you know what? We, it's, uh, it's a great conversation. I, I, not, nothing that uh, I can think of off the top of my head that was mm. left out. It was a real pleasure speaking mm. with you. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. Well, thanks, Paul. And we'll be keeping a close eye on uh, as you guys push this charter challenge forward. Again, we will in- invite Canadians that are listening to check out therasil.ca, donate to this cause, uh, and that'll help us push this charter challenge into July. Uh, we'll keep people updated, but hopefully I can have you on in, a, in, a, in maybe six months and we'll have another conversation saying, guess what? It's done. You did it. Like, I want that conversation with you, Paul. That would be so cool. Yeah, well, hey, thanks so much, Paul, for being on, and uh, all the best as you prepare for your briefs. Thank you very much. Okay, have a great day. Please check out therasil.ca for more information about the Charter Challenge. We will be producing one to two of these episodes a week, so you can follow along in the summer as we encounter patients, experts, and others to help people get access to these medicines that we need more than ever. Thanks a lot. This is Peg Peters with Unveiled Podcast.